The children may be released. They're already gone? Or not here? Awesome. No no children? Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> no attention there, Riley. None at all. Uh, well, good morning. Uh, just uh, real quick, by a show of hands, who made resolutions this year? Keep the hands up. Who has broken already? That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, we talk a lot about resolutions. We talk about, um, you know, we, when the, the new year starts, we just get all fired up for something, whether it's losing weight or, you know, being a better person, being a better parent, being a better Christian. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. And, you know, I'm quite honored to, to speak the first service of the new year. So that's kind of cool for me. But let me read you a uh, New Year's prayer. And let me know if this resonates with anybody. May God make your year a happy one, not by shielding you from all sorrows and pain, but by strengthening you to bear it as it comes. Not by making your path easy, but by making you sturdy to travel any path. Not by taking hardship from you, but by taking fear from your heart. Not by granting you unbroken sunshine, but by keeping your face bright even in the shadows. Not by making your life always pleasant, but by showing you when people and their causes need you most and by making you anxious to be there to help. God's love, peace, hope, and joy to you for the year ahead. I think that's a pretty good prayer. I think sometimes in our lives we strive for God to make things easy for us versus strengthening us for the problems that we know we're going to come our way. But today we're going to talk about finishing well. And I think that uh, we all strive to finish well. It's easy to start something. Would you agree with that? How many people have ever started a diet, and you don't have to raise your hand for this, but failed? How many of you had a relationship that you started and it failed? How many of you had a job that you started and it failed? It's easy to start well, but finishing well is of the utmost importance, whether it's in sports, whether it's our work, whether it's our relationships, we need to finish well. Scripture doesn't say, well started, my good and faithful servant. It says, well done, my good and faithful servant. See, I believe our intentions are always to finish well. I don't believe anybody has started out on an endeavor hoping to fail. I know that when two people get married and they're standing up there in front of the pastor and in front of God and everybody, I can't imagine anywhere in either one of those two thoughts, you know what, I'm going to get divorced here in probably about three years. No, everybody wants to finish well. I don't know anybody that's took on a job expecting to get fired. And when it comes to finishing well... What distracts us from doing that? What distracts us from seeing what the prize is, what our goals are? You know, when we set a resolution, we, we make a goal. And whether that goal is to lose weight, and let's just say we'll use that as a, as a goal, that I want to lose 30 pounds sometime throughout this year. See, we have a target goal. We know what we want to do. 
But what keeps us from getting that goal? What distractions do we deal with on a day-to-day basis that would cause us to do that? You know, day one, you know, tomorrow we're all going to go back to work and those that have decided they're going to lose weight. What's going to be staring at you in your kitchenette at work the second you get in there tomorrow? Donuts. Is that a distraction? Yeah, it is. You know, when we got the desire to, to... make our spiritual life stronger. And you know what? I am going to read my Bible every night. And I sit down on the couch. Oh, cool. It's Sterner. Hey, what's up, Sterner? <laughs> you watching this game? No. You should. All right. <clears throat> and I'm done. We get those distractions. And that's just a simple one, but I think in, in my personal life, the biggest distraction I have from, from studying every day is that thing right there on the wall. That's the television. The television is my biggest downfall. And there's so many shows on there that I love to watch. I mean, you know, the, the Discovery Channel is definitely one of my favorites, and, you know, it is such a time sucker. And, you know, now I've, I've got to the smart thing, well, you know what, I'll just record it. That doesn't change anything because then you've got to catch up on your DVR. So the distractions are there. So to finish well, we need discipline. And discipline is defined as training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental faculties or moral character. We all need discipline when it comes to finishing well. Again, whatever we set forth, whether it's a resolution, we need discipline. If it's in starting a new job, we need discipline to go to bed in time, to get up early, to do our best. And if you have your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we'll be start off in verse 24. Give me an amen when you get there. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just praise you, Lord. As we open your word this morning, we ask that you would use this word to convict us, Lord, to become better servants, Lord, to help us to get that touch from you that Brian just sang of, Lord. We know that you do touch us. Sometimes we don't always respond to that touch. But, Father, we ask now in the name of Jesus that you would just set aside all of our cares for the next 30 to 40 minutes, Lord, and let us to learn from your word that you, Father, would be glorified through everything today. Lord, I ask you to hide me behind the cross. Use me as a vessel to proclaim your word. In Jesus' name, amen. First Corinthians 9, verse 24, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking. It says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul speaks of the discipline that we need in this particular passage of Scripture. He sets it up in the very first uh, passage we read here in verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? So using that as the mindset, one person is going to receive the prize in a particular race that he's talking about. 
how does that person get that prize? By discipline, by dedication to the goal. And Paul speaks a lot about athletic events. And I think that helps us to put it in perspective, being how we are such a sports-driven society. But in the Olympics, if you're an Olympic athlete, regardless of what your sport is, what is your one and only goal? To win what? The gold medal, which is the prize. Does anybody, do you think they go into training hoping to win the bronze? No. Everybody strives to win the gold. So you know what your focus is. You know what your discipline is needed. When you have the goal in mind, that's what becomes our passion. That's what drives us. That's what should drive us. See, Paul was really familiar with, the, with athletes. And I love the comparison to use between a Christian walk and an athletic event. And in, in studying for this, I noticed that um, the athletes he was talking about were similar to the Olympics, but they, they were a uh, place called the Isthmian Games, and these predated, obviously, the Olympics. But the athletes, the competitors on here, would train for 10 months solid, mandatory training. And if they did not complete that training, they were not able to compete. Now, let's fast forward that to the Olympics. In today's modern day and age, the Olympics average... Each athlete averages 23 hours a week of training. 23 hours a week of training. Now, if you multiply that on a six-day week, I mean, that's almost four hours a day that somebody is training for the goal. So if we have that same mindset in our lives of what the goal is, what is our spiritual goal? What do we strive for when we make that commitment that I'm going to be a better Christian. You know, when we start the new job, we know what we want to do. We want to do the best we can. We want to proceed. We want to move up the ladder. When we set a goal for diet, we say, you know, I want to get 30 pounds off, but my first goal is going to be five pounds, and then it's going to be another five, and then another five until I get to that goal. We know what the finished product looks like when we set those goals. What do we set our spiritual goals like? The athletes in the games would compete for a pine wreath crown. We as Christians compete for an imperishable crown, and that is our reward. We receive those crowns. We get to lay those crowns at the feet of Jesus. We get those crowns by being faithful, by enduring trials, by being solid in our faith. So if the crown, the imperishable crown of Christ is our goal... What are we doing to gain that? Are we spending multiple hours a week in prayer, in study, in worship, in fellowship? Or are we just cool to hang out between 10.30 to noon on Sunday with Pastor Todd? If our goal is to be more Christ-like and our goal is to walk closer to the Lord, that 30 or 90 minutes a week that we get to spend at church shouldn't be to come here, Pastor Todd. It should be here to come here about from the Word of God. I love Pastor Todd, but he's not why I come here. I come here because the Holy Spirit is here. And if that's our thought process, we're going to do everything we can 
to uphold the presence of the Holy Spirit by coming into church in reverency, in worship. When, when the worship team is up here singing, and we should be praising the Lord at that time, not just sitting there waiting for the music to get done so I can hear Pastor Todd. It's the total package. It's the music. It's the worship. It's the fellowship. We come here to honor God. We don't come to church just to hear from Pastor Todd. He is a vessel to be used by God, and God has used him mightily and blessed him amazingly. But if our focus is to come here just to be seen, we're missing the boat. We're missing the boat. It's not about Pastor Todd. It's not about Brother Steve last week. It's not about me. It's not about Ron. It's about Jesus Christ and him alone. So when we take that mindset and we take that mindset that, you know, I have to go to church on Sunday. No, I get to go to church on Sunday. We need to change that mindset. Wednesday night, I guess i got to be at Wednesday night. No, I want to be at Wednesday night service. When we have that mindset, when we change that thought process, our goals start to get defined just a little bit better because our attitudes change from I have to to I get to. And that is what our attitudes need to be. When we struggle with coming to church, I think we need to refocus on why we're coming to church. And I think that when we do that and we realize that passage of Scripture doesn't say go to church, it says become Christ-like, then when we do that, things will change for us. Back to our, our text here. Verse 27. See, Paul was extremely humble. And this is what's amazing. If you know the, the history of Paul, if you uh, have some time this afternoon, Acts chapter 9 will tell you the history of Paul. But in a, in a cliff note version, he was called Saul of Tarsus. This man hated Christians. His desire was to destroy the church. And when, when Stephen was being stoned to death, Paul, excuse me, Saul at the time, was up there. Way to go. Kill him. He's a Christian. Kill him. He had quite the checkered past. But when he met Jesus and he was touched by Jesus, his life changed. Again, I encourage you to read Acts chapter 9. Because it's the best story that I can come up with in the Bible about somebody that was living this way, a certain way, met Jesus face to face and his life was radically changed for the kingdom of God. And if you know that story, Paul was used to write two-thirds of the New Testament after he met Jesus. And we can do that today too. When we have our troubles and our trials and our struggles, when we seek Jesus, and in Saul's case, he didn't seek him. Jesus found him. And there was no denying that. But verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. The Greek word for disqualified means disapproved after testing. See, he was worried about being disapproved by God. He knew his history. He knew he met Jesus. He knew he'd been radically changed for the cause of Christ. And he suffered something amazing. Yet, he still said, I'm worried about being disapproved by God. Let me ask you today, is that... Our mindset also. Are we concerned with being disapproved by God or are we just happy 
to be seen as a Christian. See, let's go back to those 90 minutes that we're here um, during the week. You know, we can all put on an act. I remember when I first got saved, I, I was still drinking at the time. And uh, I would put on an act. You know, you walk into church. Hey, how you doing, brother? Oh, man, I'm blessed. I'm blessed and highly favored. Amen, brother. And you go through the motions. But when I leave there, I go to Giant Eagle or wherever and still grab my 12-pack of beer to go watch the football games. And what happens when we do that is, first of all, we look ridiculous in the eyes of God because we're a phony. And second of all, if you're going doing something and you're putting beer in your grocery cart and you're looking around hoping you don't see anybody from church, you've got a problem to start with. See, if you have to look around to see if what you're doing is not right, then it's not right, period. Conviction is a wonderful thing, although we hate conviction when it comes to humbling ourselves. But Paul was so humble. He was worried about being disqualified. If we want to finish well, we need to train ourselves to be godly. Godliness doesn't just happen. It takes sacrifice. It takes sacrifice of our time. It takes sacrifice of our finances in tithing. It takes sacrifice because we're going to lose friends when we commit to Jesus Christ. When I got saved, all of my friends went by the wayside. And I got a funny feeling that a lot of folks in here had the same thing. But here's what's cool about that. When we lose those friends, we gain a family. And when we lose those friends, we have opportunities to live that walk that you talk about. And possibly if you see them up there and you're still walking the walk, at some point they may possibly say, you know, what's that guy got? Whatever he has, he has changed. He's not the same guy that I used to party with. I wonder what changed in his life. But we need to be consistent. We need to make that sacrifice. We need to spend time in prayer, in fellowship with other believers, in the Word of God, not out of obligation, but because you want to get something from it. This isn't a one-time affair either. It takes a consistent effort on our part. We need to do the things that God wants us to do on a daily basis, not just on Sunday, not just going to the ABF at Annie and uh, Russ. We need to do those things daily. (laughs) I'm sorry, Russ. Uh, We need to do those things daily, though. And when we change that habit, when we change that mindset, it doesn't become an issue anymore. You know, they say it takes, I can't remember what the number is, for you to do something before it becomes uh, a habit. And when we get in that habit, when we set our alarm clocks for a half hour early to get into the Word of God, if we tell ourselves we're going to shut the television off at 7.30 to spend time with God, when we consistently can do that and spend the time with the Lord that He wants us to spend, then we can be on our way to finishing well. To train ourselves in godliness means we have to be determined to finish the race. Sometimes we have to fight in the trenches to stay true to that commitment that we've made to God. We know the distractions are out there. In a gorgeous day like today, you know, it's easy to stay home. It's never usually 55 degrees in January 4th, so it'd be easy to stay home. It'd be easy to go out there and take your Christmas lights down. But you guys are here today, so, you know, that tells me that we want to learn from God. But the battles that we have are a spiritual battle that we deal with every moment 
of every day. And when we realize that we are in that spiritual battle, Ephesians 6 and 12 kind of means a little more to us. And this is Paul talking about the battle that we're in. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That battle is Satan himself. I know a lot of times in churches we don't talk about the, the spiritual battle that we're in. But let's, let's not kid ourselves. Satan wants to destroy each and every person in here. That's why Jesus says in, verse, in John 10.10 10, that, that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to kill our faith. He wants to destroy our lives. And he wants to steal our joy. And when we get caught up in the garbage of this world and not realize that that is his distraction, that's when we have problems. But the second part of that, we tend to forget when Jesus says, but I have overcome the world. That's the plus side to that scripture. If we stop at the negative, and we are such a negative society, it's easy to stop at the negative. But no, take heart. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. So this is my question. I asked it earlier. What is your goal this year, spiritually speaking? And what are you going to do to reach it? Are you going to make that commitment to, to shut off the TV, to stop watching football games, to not necessarily stop watching football games, but prioritize them? My football season's over. Okay, there we go. Um, as Luke so eloquently pointed out to me this morning, it's a great example. So... How many of you watched the Ohio State game? Nice. How many of you are rooting for Alabama? Okay. So to finish well, let's just use that as a great example. When, when you finish well, if, if you're the Alabama Crimson Tide and you're up 21 to 6, you're feeling pretty good. You started off very well. How did they finish? Not so well. The same with our spiritual walk. We can get up on the devil 21 to 6, but as soon as we let our guard down and we, we, we stop doing the basics that we need to do, the devil is going to run roughshod over us just like Ezekiel Elliott did. He is going to tear us apart as soon as we let our guard down. So finishing well is of the utmost importance. So, again, what is our goal? This is what Paul's goal was. Uh, flip over to Philippians Chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. And give me a crimson tide when you get there. Never was good at following directions, was he? Uh, Philippians 3, verse 12. This again, Paul speaking. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Verse 14, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is the prize? The prize is the crowns that we had talked about. The crowns that we get to lay at the feet of Jesus. See, he's not talking about his salvation. He is talking about the crowns that we get to receive. 
and we get to lay those at the feet of Jesus. You know, we, that sounds kind of insignificant, but, but picture the, uh, you know, growing up when you say you got, you know, four siblings and everybody's got a gift for mom on Mother's Day. Everybody's got that gift except for you. How did that make you feel at that time? Pretty low, pretty bad, pretty, oh, man. Picture that with Jesus, that people are coming to Jesus to lay the crowns of righteousness at his feet that we're given for a job well done, and I've got nothing. I've got nothing because I was content with being saved. I was content saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. Come into my life. But I didn't follow through with that. I didn't worship Jesus the way he wanted me to worship. I didn't follow God the way he wanted me. I just was in the buffet line. I wasn't willing to eat. That's humbling. When you stand before the Almighty God and you have nothing to give back. That's what Paul's talking about here. So stop for a moment and ask yourself, what is Paul trying to grab hold of? Verse 10, that I may know him, him being Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. That's powerful stuff, that I may know him. Paul, the guy we just spoke of that wrote most of the New Testament, wants to know Jesus Christ. That's a man that I want to follow after his design and his goals of how to worship Christ. Because during all the circumstances, out of all the times he'd been thrown in jail, out of all the times he'd been beaten, he was still wanting to know Christ. What is his goal? What's he reaching for? Paul's goal is that crown, to know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. Not of the resurrection, the power of it, to be risen from the dead, to be renewed, and to spend eternity on the right hand of Jesus. But there's so many words in this pec- in verse 10 that are powerful. Forgetting the things that were behind. Reaching for the goal of what's ahead. And that goal should be the crowns of Jesus Christ. So here's the point. If your goal is heaven, your goal is eternal life with Christ, All these little setbacks we get in life are just stumbling blocks to what the goal is. We let these stumbling blocks get in our way and we stop focusing on what we set out to. And that's finishing well. Point two, we need to forget our past failures. We need to learn from them. We need to forget them. And we need to strain towards the upward call of Jesus Christ. See, Paul had quite the past. Again, we talked about that. If you want to read the whole thing, Acts 8 and 9 will get you his whole story. But it molded him as a believer in Christ, but it didn't define him. Our past does not have to define us unless we allow it. We can be molded by it. I know where I came from. I know the stumbling blocks that I had to deal with back then. And God has used me to help people with those same stumbling blocks. We can do the same thing. So let's not live in the past 
let's learn from the past. Let's not make the same mistakes twice. And let's let them define you. Let me read you a little story. This person was defeated for the state legislator in Illinois in 1832. He was defeated for Congress in 1843. He was defeated again for Congress in 1848. He was defeated for the Senate in 1855. He was defeated for the vice president on the presidential ticket in 1856. Defeated again for the Senate in 1950, excuse me, 1858. He became president in 1860 and lives on as one of the best presidents in the history of our country. And I'm talking about Abraham Lincoln. He had 28 years of defeat where he could have just said, you know what, I'm done with this. But he didn't. He knew what his goals were. He knew what his eyes were set on, and that was the presidency. He didn't let any one of these defeats get in his way. He kept striving for the goal. And we need to do that. 28 years of failures would cause anybody to stop but he kept pressing on towards the goal. He didn't let his past failures define his future. He knew what he wanted to do. Do we know what we want to do, spiritually speaking? You've heard that question asked three times this morning already. And I'm sure in our minds, we, some of us have an answer to that. But we seem to want to give up on these things. It seems so easy to give up on our struggles. I think that's why marriages are what they are today, that we don't fight for the things in life that matter. It's so easy to get divorced. It's so easy to file bankruptcy. It's so easy to quit and find another job because we've got obstacles. It's so easy to, to leave the church because the pastor, you didn't like the suit he was wearing. It's so easy to do these things. It's so easy to walk away from our faith when things don't go the way. I prayed for somebody. Nothing happened. Why, God? I'm done so easy to do that but if we know what our goals are and if we know that God answers prayers in three ways of yes no and wait when we realize that we don't get so pompous and pious because you know I asked for that new job and God didn't give it to me I'm done with him no well maybe God didn't want you to have that job because your ego is in the way and you knew your head would get huge and you would pump your chest out and you would say I got that job and forget about God God does those things to us and for us and through us when we realize it or not. We're going to have struggles in our lives. Would you agree with that? The book of Job is an absolute wonderful story of the struggles of life. And if you know the story, go ahead and flip back there. Second chapter of Job. What's so powerful about this story is Job knew what his calling from God was. He knew that he was called to be a man of God. And the struggles that came his way, he lost his possessions, he lost his kids, he lost his health. Listen to this in Isaiah, excuse me, Job 2, 9. Then his wife said to him, now this is 
after all these bad things happened where his kids were killed, he lost his possessions, his health went bad. Let's go up to verse 8. It puts a little bit of an image. Let's go to 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Now this is a man of God who had all sorts of things just, just go wrong in his life. And these boils that we're talking were all over his body. And a pot shirt is basically a ceramic pot that's broken and just a piece of it. And he is sitting there just scraping the boils off of him. And what did his wife say? The wife. The wife is supposed to be our, our rock, our soulmate. Listen to Job's wife. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, I can't imagine what Job was thinking at that point. But his response in verse 10 is, But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. That is a powerful statement. Should we not take the good with the bad? We don't know why the bad happens. That's a passage or a, uh, a question that's been asked for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it'll be asked for hundreds more. But why do good things happen to bad people? And why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. I can't speak for God, but I do know this passage of Scripture says, Shall we indeed accept the good from God and not accept adversity? When we have that mindset, things may change a little bit also. We're going to have struggles. We're going to have trials. Every day of our lives, we deal with something. Is it in God's plan? Possibly. Probably. Do sometimes the things that happen in our lives that we don't like that, are, that just aren't, uh, what we had planned because of poor decisions that we may have made? Probably. But what it all comes down to is do we understand that God did not promise us a life of roses when we accepted him as our Savior? But he did give us a way to handle those things. James 1.12 says, For blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crowns, we're talking about still crowns, the crown of life promised to those who are in Christ Jesus. doesn't say you may have adversity. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. He's telling us we're going to have trials. Are we going to see discouragement? Absolutely. Are we going to have problems in our lives? Absolutely. But God has given us a way in his word that can change the way we deal with each one of those things. Will God bring us out of those? Yeah, probably will. But we have to rely on him and his timing, not us and our timing. Christ tells us in John 16:33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He tells us that. We're going to have issues. When we strive to finish well, when we get into the word of God, when we focus on those things that he wants from us, we understand these things a little bit better, that the things that we're going through are just for a, for a spell. We may not understand them. We may not want them. We may not appreciate them. But rest assured that God has a plan for each one of us. 
And just because we think our plan through does not necessarily mean that that's God's plan for our lives. Great story, and I don't recall if I told this before, but many, many years ago, uh, I was working at a company that I absolutely despised. I mean, it was so bad there that I would come home as an absolute grump, and the kids would hate seeing Dad come home. And I had an opportunity to go find a job uh, or get a job elsewhere that I really wanted. And I remember praying, God, I want this job, I want this job, I want this job. And God was just sitting back. I kept praying, God, I want this job, I want this job, I want this job. And nothing. Couldn't get a call back, couldn't get an opportunity, couldn't get an interview. And at one point, it's, I think I heard somebody on the radio talking about our prayers. And I remember saying, all right, God, whatever you want. It's not what I want. It's what you want. Funny thing happened. Those doors opened. And I'll be there for almost, this year will be 17 years. Those doors opened up after I changed the way I thought, it's not about me. It's about God. What does God want from me? And when we change our mindset to that, I believe he opens the doors. When he opens those doors, he opens those doors for encouragement, for comfort. But a lot of times we don't understand how God operates. 2 Corinthians 7.5, this is again Paul speaking. It says, for indeed, when we came to Macedonia... Our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. You see, Paul's encouragement came in the form of Titus. I think sometimes we miss God's encouragement because we're looking for that God moment where he's going to you know, crack lightning out of the sky and put it next to us and have a burning bush and you know, get a ram stuck in a bush. and you know, We're looking for those things, but we miss the encouragement that may come. We were comfort- you comforted us by the coming of Titus. See, we're waiting to hear from God, but we ignore God's messenger. Real corny story, but it really, I think, helps understand this passage of Scripture. When it comes to, uh, you know, God's going to send people to help us out in our troubles. There's this guy had a great flood somewhere, and the guy's on top of his garage. The water is coming up. He's praying to God for help him. God, God, I need your help. God, I need your help. God, I need your help. Some guy in a boat comes by, says, get in. I said, no, no, no. God's going God's to help me. He sends the boat away. Guy in a helicopter comes by, throws a rope down, says, get a hold of the rope. Guy says, no, no, no. God's going to save me. God's going to save me. But what happened? The guy drowned. Why did he drown? Because God showed up in a boat and with a rope. But we didn't bother looking for that. We wanted the big hand of God to come down and pull him up. I think we do that sometimes. We get in such a spot, regardless of what the the situation may be, and we realize that, you know what, I need something from God. I need a touch of God. And it never ceases to amaze me that how sometimes God sounds a whole lot like my wife. 
Sometimes God sounds a whole lot like my spiritual mentor. God sounds a whole lot like Dr. Tony Evans on the radio. Because when we need something, we're listening to hear from God. But Sterner may say something from God to me. And I'm ignoring him because that's just Sterner. He's not God. We need to be responding and hear from God throughout all things. So those trials that we're dealing with, God may be sending somebody to help us. We just need to realize that sometimes that comforter looks a lot like Titus. So what does finishing well look like? 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. A drink offering. He's being poured out as that offering. The drink offering is a, is a sacrifice. It's an offering that people would give to the Lord. But he says he himself is being poured out as an offering to the Lord. The time of his departure is at hand. Did you notice that nowhere during his, his past uh, scriptures did he say anything like this? He knew his time was becoming short where he was going to be leaving the earth and meet the Lord face to face once again. He's ready to depart. He didn't rely on his past service. He kept the faith. He persevered. He struggled. He served God until the end. Verse 7 says, I have fought the good fight. I want to be able to say that when it comes my time. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. I know that is my prayer, and I know I fall so short of that when it comes to keeping the faith. Because sometimes, if I'm honest with myself and honest with you, my faith is about that small. Because I don't physically see what God is doing. And I don't know about y'all, but I like to see things and I'm a hands-on person, and I want to see something. I want to see God moving somewhere. Have I kept the faith? So that's the question we can ask. Finishing well is a lifelong process. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Only by that touch of God that Brian sung about earlier can we finish well. So in these next few moments, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. I just want to close with one passage of Scripture. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And in this day of New Year's resolutions, 
New Year's commitments, opportunities to change our lives. We can hang on to that scripture. Do you want today to be that day where the old is gone and the new has come? As the team sings, we have that opportunity to come up here and get right with the Lord. Make that commitment to Him. Don't even call it a resolution, because resolutions we always like to break. Let's call it a commitment, a commitment to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to walk with Him, to strive to finish well in each step of our walk with Him. And if we do that, we can say we fought the good fight. We finished the race. We kept the faith. Pray with me. Father, we just praise you today. Lord, we thank you for the folks that are here today. Lord, we ask that uh, for these next few minutes, Lord, that you would speak to those that may need that touch from you. Lord, so many things go on in our world that we just don't understand. But Father, help us to realize that those things are not in our control. And that you have given us a way to handle each and every situation that come through. And that is by faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we just praise you again for this morning. We ask for your continued blessings to these next few moments. And Lord, we just give you all the praise, honor, and glory in Christ's name. Amen. These altars are open.